giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the giant robot smashing into other giant robot podcast. It is Thursday, February 28th. I am Ben Ornstein, and I'm here today with Jeremy McAnally. Hey, Jeremy. Hey, how's it going? Good. How you doing? Not too bad. So, what are you doing in Boston? I am visiting numerous colleges, dropping some knowledge bombs on the youngins. Oh, sweet. What are you talking about? Um, it's actually different talks every time. So, I've given one sort of on uh, what I feel like makes a good company with GitHub, of course, being the, the sort of quintessential hmm. uh, study on that. And then... Uh, I did some sort of workflow sort of stuff. Um, one of the colleges, actually, I showed up and I was doing a whole workflow talk. And in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, branches. You know, you branch off. And that's and I got a lot of blank stares. And so I was like, you guys you guys know what branches are, right? No. Hmm. You, you, got, you guys use Git, right? N- no. Hmm. So that was a nice, uh, nice break in the middle for a 20-minute Git and version control tutorial to kind of bring them up to speed since I'd lost them in the first half of the talk. <laughs> sure. It's it's tough. It can be really tough giving technical talks when you don't know the technical level of your audience. It's impossibly hard sometimes. That's why the, the next two nights I was very careful to be like, so where are you guys at with this whole GitHub thing? And fortunately, the next two nights have been like, oh, we all use it and we've used it for a year or such and such class requires it or whatever. So it's been a lot easier to deliver what I had prepared versus having to break in the middle and kind of scramble. Totally. Yeah. I, the one thing, so I do a decent amount of conference speaking, and, and one of the nice things with that is you sort of, you can put a proposal in and people can read what you're going to supposedly talk about and have an idea of if your talk is at the right level for them. But sometimes in these other events, it's more like, Jeremy's here and he's going to talk about programming. Right. And hopefully it'll be good for you. These student organizations sometimes, yeah, I mean, they're run by great people, but they don't necessarily know the level that all of their members are on because they're not always in contact with them or you know, maybe they just have class with them or whatever. And so I think it's really hard for them, even when I tell them what I'm going to talk about, to judge whether that's going to be a good topic for them or not. That's a good point. How did you get these these gigs? I don't hear about a lot of people talking um, about colleges. John Britton is our education uh, liaison. Mm-hmm. This is technical role He's at, French. at GitHub. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, and um, he actually works with colleges. So they actually just emailed him at various points in the past probably three months. And so we tried to line up the dates uh, just in a row so one of us could come do it. We actually have been at like... Something like forty colleges this month with varying um, varying GitHubers going out. We've been at like thirteen just this week, I think. So wow! I've really been trying to get out in the universities and make sure they know that we give students free private accounts and that enterprises dirt stupid cheap for campus wide deployments. Um, mm. A lot of I think colleges are, are totally unaware of the stuff that we really want to offer them, and so we've been really trying to get out there and push that and make sure people know about it. Huh. And so where have you speak, spoken and where will you speak? Um, I've been at uh, Boston College on Monday. I was supposed to be at Hack Harvard on Tuesday, but uh, it was midterms week and somebody slightly <sighs> dropped the ball, which is okay. It happens. It's Harvard midterms. kids don't study, though. So. Well, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, they were all going to get pizza and crap. I was like, whatever. I'm joking. I'm totally joking. Um, they just, it just slipped their mind. So it's fine. But I went and hung out with a couple of the guys for a little while. So it was, it was nice. Um, and then last night I was at Northeastern. And tonight I'm going to be at Olin, which is all the way out in Yon Needham, mm. Massachusetts. Are you from the Northeast? I am not. Uh, I grew up in Alabama for the first 18 years of my life and uh, never really ventured outside the Southeast until I was like 18 or 19. And you live in like Orlando now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you drew the short straw of coming to the Northeast in, in the middle of winter to speak? Yeah, it was, it was funny because I didn't really even think about it. I knew it was going to be cold. Yeah. But then, like, we were looking at all these travel guys, my wife and I, and the first thing they all said is, don't go in February. Every <laughs> single one of them were like, 
Awesome. So we got on the plane and it was 82 in Orlando and we got off the plane and it was 30 and snowing like crazy. Hmm. Yeah, this is this is an awesome choice. Yeah, we're, we're sorry about that. <laughs> that's that's our fault. Yesterday we tried to walk a block and a half to uh, Newberry Street to go shopping just to, to do something to walk around and, um, from the exit of where we were going out from in Copley to um, like one street over the wind destroyed my umbrella. Like I had like oh, one yeah. of those two level, I live in Florida. So I, you know, I, I have legit umbrellas. We have tons of rain. It was like one of the two level golf ones. Like, you know, mm. it wasn't a cheap, you know, umbrella. <laughs> it just bent the arm all to pieces, tore the fabric. I decided I did not want to fight with Northeastern wind anymore. So I went back inside. Welcome to Boston. <laughs> so, um, I saw you last at Magic Ruby. Yes. Uh, which is a conference that you put on in Orlando. Mm-hmm. How did that go? Were you happy with it? Um, I think the conference itself was great. It was probably the single most stressful event organization experience of my life. Tell um, me about that. So the previous year, they I told them, like, I have, like, 10 grand to work with. That's that's my budget. I can go slightly over that maybe, but that that's it. And my final budget was, like, $28,000. Wow. Fortunately, I did, like, I just did a ton of fundraising and got it covered. But I mean, that's what we were looking at this year. Um, I found that, you know, they were supposed to be a lot more in control of the budget. They were very aware of what happened the previous year and it was fine up until about two weeks before. And then they dropped the bomb that, Oh, well all the labor that you use has to be union. And the union requires that four guys be on site all day, both days. So my, my budget went from like, I think it was like eight or 9,000 up to like 21,000 plus, they didn't grandfather my park ticket prices in when they increased them. So I was actually losing money on every ticket that I sold to the conference because I had priced it such that it just was a perfect fit. I didn't want to charge any more than I was paying out. And so um, it really busted my finances for a little while and like just incredibly stressful day from the, the union guys were really helpful for the most part, but there was one that was particularly cantankerous about everything. And it was a really difficult experience dealing with that dude all day basically trying to run the conference, tell me when I should start talks when it was too early. It just, it was, it was bad. Huh. And so is this a personal venture for you? The, the... Yeah. Yeah. Um, both that and the Ruby hoedown, which I do every year in Nashville. So magic Ruby probably won't live on at least not in its current form, but, uh, we're going to have another hoedown this year and I'm going to pour a lot more effort into that one. Uh, so it should be pretty awesome. Have some cool stuff in store. I hope. Interesting. So you ended up losing personal money on magic Ruby then. Yeah. That's yeah. a bummer. Yeah, it happens. I mean, it's, one of those things where I'm not going to go back to the sponsors and say, hey, they, I mean, I did go back to them once, but I'm not going to go back to them again and say, hey, they're jacking me for like a lot more money on this. So, yeah. so what, what does Ruby Hoedown actually haven't, haven't been? Oh, yeah. Been. So it's in Nashville. It's every year. It's totally free. Um, we finally found a stable venue for the past few years. We're at the, uh, the Scarrett Bennett, which was a former Christian missionary college. So they have buildings. Uh, I, you can compare it to Boston College here. So pretty epic, you know, gothic looking buildings. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. The dining hall that we ate in last year looked like friggin' Hogwarts. It was amazing. Um, and they're really affordable. They're super easy to work with. Like, I just showed up last year, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to do the Ruby Hoedown conference over there. And they just kind of looked at me like, why are you talking to me? Like, go do your thing and just leave. Like, they are super easygoing. Um, but we do it for free every year, so I get sponsorship to cover it. It's a pretty low budget, fortunately, so it's pretty easy to do that. Um, and this year, we're actually going to try to do, like, a big after party, either on the first or second day, and try to get some of the local bands, because there are lots of famous bands that live in nashville black keys um uh, i know that i think father john misty lives there i don't know if he still lives there or not but he used to when mm-hmm. he was doing stuff as jay tillman so i'm going to try to pull in some some good musical acts and get those uh covered by some of the sponsors and big after party blowout type thing cool is it so is it like a hack fest kind of format 
No, it's a, it's a standard conference. Okay. Um, we have usually more lightning talks than normal because people like to be really involved with it. But mm. we try to theme it around Nashville. Like we, the food is usually southern. Uh, we usually have music in the middle of the conference. So like after lunch, we'll have an hour of some live band playing on the stage huh. um, before the next talk. So we try to really um, you know run it southern. We have big gaps in between because how we do things down there just really slow going and a lot of talking so we're gonna get hate mail now right right <laughs> if you know angry tweets <laughs> um so we it's it's been going since 07 it was actually like the second ever regional conference uh for ruby interesting um and we started out in north carolina and then we moved to huntsville when my co-organizer had to drop and i didn't have any other alternatives so we did in huntsville which was a really hard year because Nobody wants to go to Huntsville, Alabama. It's yeah, it's lame. Hmm. So then we moved to Nashville, which is, was, has been a great stable spot to be in. Yeah, um, it's probably a draw in, in in and of itself. Oh yeah, I mean people love going down to the honky tonks and stuff like that. So I usually try to position the venue fairly close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and people like to go to the West End, and there's just lots of stuff to get into in Nashville that people really enjoy. So yeah, when is it this year? Uh, I don't or, actually have a date set quite yet. It's usually late August to mid September, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've actually got to like coordinate with the venue and try to figure out what's going to be the best date. We have a, a regional organizers list that we try to coordinate dates on to make sure we're not stomping on each other's dates. So we got to dance around that. Um, that part of the year is usually pretty full, so it's it's kind of hard to to settle on a date. Gotcha. Peak of the season. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. Um, so do you have a, is there a website or a Twitter account people can follow? Yeah, uh, it's wanna... Hoedown on Twitter. I jacked that pretty early in nice. the Twitter life cycle. And then, um, rubyhoedown.com is where it's at. So it still has the last year's website up right now, but as soon as I have a date, then I'll pop it up there and, uh, let everybody know. Mm, got it. So, um, I gotta tell you, I was researching you for the, the podcast and your resume is out of date. Yeah. Oh yeah. What's hilarious about that is it actually has my wife's cell phone number. So I passed my phone on to her when I got a new iPhone. So recruiters call her oh, and it's great because she just like, he has a job now. You need to back off. And like, they start getting combative with her. It's, it's actually pretty awesome to listen to because she'll just tell them how it is because mm. she doesn't care. Yeah. That's nice. You have someone to screen those calls. Oh yeah. It's you. amazing. I haven't talked to a recruiter in like a year and a half. It's great. <laughs> you should um, filter your uh, email through her right. as well. <laughs> that might be a little obvious that it's her name though. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, uh, the thing that's not on there in particular is that you are now at GitHub. Yes, I am. Yeah. So how is that? It's awesome. Uh, it's just what it says on the 10. I always get the question like, is the culture really what they say it is? And it, it really is. I mean, it, people like to poke holes in it from the outside and there have been a couple of blog posts recently that really made me bristle just that they have never worked at GitHub or a company like us. And they're passing a lot of judgment on how things possibly could be. I, I mean, I've, I don't want to call one out specifically, but I mean, they're just trying to address a lot of the, the cultural points that we put out there is, well, maybe these are bad things and maybe what your culture is saying is this or that. And it's, it's really unfortunate that they're being uh, really dismissive of something that actually is really great. Um, it's, it's something that we do put a lot of work in nurturing. And, you know, if we find anything in the culture that sucks, we just eliminate it. And we've done that a couple of times since I've been there. Just, okay, this isn't really working with how we're supposed to work, so we're going to get rid of it. Hmm. Um, so do a lot to protect something that we really feel like is, is a precious part of, of who the company is. So you're remote. Mm-hmm, I am. Um, from down in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And how does that work? Uh, it's great. I mean, most of us are asynchronous anyhow, even the people that are in the office. We actually have one guy that will sleep, you know, different schedules. And so he may come in at like 9 p.m. and leave at like 3 a.m. I mean, it's he just has a weird schedule. So all of mm-hmm. us are asynchronous, even if they're on site. So we all work like that anyhow. Um, so being remote, it's actually really easy because everyone is already on that sort of working mode. We don't lose out on a lot being remote. Um, everything funnels through campfire or email or issues or pull requests. Um, so 
it makes it super easy to stay in touch with everyone and keep uh, your finger on the pulse of what's going on. We have an, an internal app called Team that we do um, sort of, I won't say like Twitter-esque updates, but it's just a quick little update so we can all stay in touch with what everybody's working on. Um, so you don't have to you know, feed from the fire hose of issues and comments if you don't want to. You can just sort of keep in touch on Team and, and uh, stay up to date that way. Interesting. So, so it's like an electronic stand-up kind of thing? Yeah, it's sort of. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to post to it. Nobody's forced to. And some of them are just, you know... I'm eating this right now. I mean, it's, it's basically an internal Twitter, um, but it's also, you know, it's more geared toward keeping everybody sort of high level up to date on what you're working on and what's going on. Hmm. Uh, how often do you get to see your coworkers? Uh, at least twice a year. And then if I go out to like a mini summit or something, so we might have like a, we have two big summits every year, one winter, one summer, everybody comes out. There are some talks. Um, we're sort of evolving the format as the company's growing. It used to be that everybody talks and obviously with 150 people, that's not feasible at mm-hmm. all. Um, so then we switched to just new people talk. And even then it's, it's just a little much for like one day of just like 25 people talking. It's, it's a lot. So, um, we've just sort of evolved the format. I think we've kind of hit on a, a good one now where it's more, there's a, like a hack day and a few other things, you know, involved with the talking. So, um, and then we've had like sort of group idea days where we all just kind of like huddle, um, together and, and think of, you know, idea ways to refine features or come up with new features or whatever. Uh, but then we also have these really focused mini summits. So maybe the, there's a security one coming up at some point pretty soon where all the guys that are interested in security and spam fighting and that sort of stuff, basically platform help is kind of what we're calling it, mm-hmm. um, are going to come together and they're going to you know brainstorm on specific things. They've got sort of some presentations that they've worked out. Like this is what I think we should do on this particular um, uh, part of the platform health stuff uh, for the next year. So they have a lot of interesting focused uh, discussions during those sorts of things. We have them for, you know, design, the platform health stuff, maybe just like a straight dot com team where the 30 or so of us come in. They've had Mac and uh, Windows native client mini summits. So um, I haven't gotten to make it to any of those yet because I've had other travel obligations or like I'm not going to be able to make the platform health one as much as I would like to because I'm going to be or uh, one of the dot com team ones um, because I'm going to be going to Paris uh, in early May. So, oh, you poor uh, guy. I know it's hard. I'm staying in the Western Vendome, which is, you know, it's basically a, a hole in the wall kind of crappy place <laughs> right next to the Louvre or whatever. I don't even know what that oh. is, but you know, it, it's going to be hard. That's too bad. I mean, it's only got like six stars. So it's, it's, it's rough. There are six star hotels. There are nine star hotels. What? Yeah. Uh, in, um, the Burj Dubai, I think actually is a nine star. What does that mean? I don't even know. Like once you get past five, I think it's, just, they should just rate them like ridiculous, stupidly ridiculous. And just like, should not exist <laughs> stupid or ridiculous would be a good name for this yeah, podcast yeah i think so <laughs> yeah. so um is that just personal travel no that's actually i'm going to Lecomp. i don't know if you've seen oh, that yeah. one or not but it's um in early may so um i actually sold myself to them to let me speak like they were they're very you know curated conference and i was like i want to speak there i want to go to paris i really and so i'm actually going to be um we're going to design a GitHub feature before I go. So I'm going to get through a lot of the design part. I'm going to build it on the stage and deploy it on the stage. So it's obviously going to be something small. Yeah, if I can I do it in an so. hour. But we're going to kind of walk people through the workflow of like, okay, this is how we sort of decide what the feature should be, what it should look like. Tiny bit of code on stage, probably not very much. And then this is how we deploy it and uh, demonstrate you know, how we use Hubot for a lot of stuff and um, staff flags and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. then, um, so it should be really interesting, I think, to sort of expose our workflow so directly to people that once we're done, they'll be able to go to github.com and use whatever feature we just added in. That's pretty awesome. I remember, um, well, that, that kind of talk is right at my alley. I'm, you know I'm a big fan of the right. live coding stuff. So, right. hey, that's awesome. Um, also, I went to CodeConf from you, when you guys put on back in right. San Francisco and uh, Holman deployed something, I think, from stage. Yeah, I think he did a chat ops talk or something, but I love that. Like, that's so... 
Uh, like it's ridiculous. Like, we've added a lot of features lately where like Hubot will actually let merge branches in, and you can actually have him create an integration branch for you. So you can say like, hey, I want to test this branch and this branch and this branch together, and he'll go make an integration branch and push it out uh, to test. So it's it's good stuff, and we are constantly improving it, constantly adding uh, new things to it. So it's not just a static you know thing. I was looking at some of Holman's old talks when I was preparing for some of the workflow ones, and I just realized how much even just from like a year and a half ago. Stuff has evolved and gotten refined uh, in, in our workflow. It's ridiculous. Hmm. You guys seem to have a, a really strong focus on building internal tools. Yes. I mean, we have a, a whole team for that. Uh, several, several people that are uh, a part of that team. And we're adding you know, more, not all the time, but we, we like to add people to that, to that because um, our internal tools are very important. It keeps a lot of the friction that you normally experience uh, in a company as it grows uh, as low as humanly possible. And that's incredibly important to keeping you know things moving as, as smoothly as possible on the product. So I mean, like we have the team thing, and that actually is a very central piece. It has a lot of stuff in there. Has you can access like all of our company policies in there, um, all of our sort of company culture stuff. If you're interested in reading that, um, you can find a GitHubber the last time that they used Team. So if you're wondering, uh, is he traveling this week or is she going to be in the office this week? You can typically tell just just based off that. Uh, you can read up on different GitHubers. I mean, there have been a couple of times where I'm like, whoa, who's this person in Campfire? Like, how would they get in? And so I go on team and I sort of read their little questionnaire. Hmm. Um, and then it has a lot of communication stuff built in. Like if somebody pings you on Campfire, it'll actually push to the team app and tell you, hey, you need to you know, check this out in Campfire because somebody just mentioned your name. Huh. And you can actually uh, give it different uh, regexes. So if you're working on a specific feature, uh, then it'll ping you on that too if you wanted to. Huh. Um, so there's just a lot of different little little things like that that – Keep it nice to keep the communication flowing a lot easier. Um, you know, we have, of course, an internal hiring app and things like that that really make that whole process a lot easier. Um, expense apps, things like that. Just a lot of internal tools that keep the company running. And since we've built them, they're built the way that we like them. I know a lot of people have tools that do this sort of stuff. There's always like, oh, man, it would be so nice if it worked this way or that way. Or, man, it would be great if we had this feature. Or this really sucks. And so being able to be totally in control of that and make it fit inside of our workflow and hook into everything that we already have going on is, is amazing. Absolutely. It, it feels like programming is a superpower sometimes. I know, right? Like my wife is always constantly like, man, I wish I could calculate this up real quick or figure this out. I'm like, give me a second and you know, type out a quick script. And she's like, you're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have a friend <laughs> whose girlfriend is uh, a scientist. And she's like doing sort of very basic data analysis sometimes like oh i have to change every one of these ten thousand numbers to add three to it or something it's like no you don't <laughs> not not at all <laughs> you don't need to do that let's fix this um i'm actually thinking of ideas as you're talking of this app of the things that we need to steal for for here because like we've we've actually had a decent amount of growth recently and so i've had right. that experience of who is that person in campfire right right so it, I'm, I'm i'm stealing stuff yeah i mean i i really think that having an app that has your team in it um and you know, we don't do this, but, you know, you can even have it manage like your GitHub permissions. Like when you add a GitHub username to mm. it, it goes and fetches data and sets all the permissions, adds them to the right teams. Um, yep. You can do all that sort of stuff automatically. Um, I don't think we do that because we like to have a little more manual control over things. But if you don't have that many teams that you'd be adding them to, then it seems like, a, you know, add them to your ThoughtBot organization or whatever. I mean, there's... I've heard tell of a script that exists that does right. some of this stuff. And like, because we have like an HR app and things right, like that. Right. So adding people to the right places. I think right. the this, this script is, does exist. Right. So, you know, just wire that into to web or even, you know, take the HR things into webhook over to your team app that does all this stuff. I mean, there are lots of possibilities there. Absolutely. Um, one thing I, I noticed, one thing you mentioned that I wanted to come back to is you reached out to the organizers of LeConf. Yes. Um, I think more people should do this. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I as a conference organizer, I would love that because I put out a CFP and I always feel bad because oftentimes, now surprisingly, Magic Ruby has a very high subscription rate for women, which is fantastic. I think this year we were like 20 or 25% female speakers, which is great. Mm-hmm. But Hoedown doesn't really so much have that. And I, I typically get maybe one or two, but the selection is is blind. So I don't know their name or email or I don't know anything about them when I'm actually looking at the talk topics and the, the committee I have working with me. But it would be really cool if I had more, um, you know, I know a lot of females are getting really into speaking at conferences, but it's really hard when I put the CFP out and I don't get a lot of response. And I know that um, there have been a few people who have been reaching out and trying to, to help out with that. And that'd be awesome. Like, I'm really going to make sure that I like ping rails girls and stuff this year, which I haven't done in previous years because didn't I exist. didn't know, right. Yeah. Or didn't exist. Yeah. And so um, I'm really hoping that I'm going to get a lot more of that. Hey, I want to reach out to you. I really want to speak here. Um, sort of, sort of engagement. And I, you know, it sells. I mean, if, if somebody did that to me, I would really take them a lot more seriously than, um, somebody who, you know, I mean, put talks in the CFP, but they're putting in like eight other CFPs. That's, it's great to hear from the other end. Yeah. Because I, I've said this for a while, which is, it's amazing how much little additional effort is required to stand out from the pack. Right. And I think this is true in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah. But like, this is a perfect example of it. Right. Which is everyone submits to the CFP. Right. And like, everyone writes, hopefully at least a decent proposal. Right. Um, for conferences that I really want to go to, I have done some crazy stuff. Like, um, I really wanted to go to Railsbury last year. Right. Um, and so I ended up, I was like, I'm going to send them a note. And I, they post on their blog, like, we're choosing talks tomorrow. And I was like, oh my God, I have to overnight something to <laughs> Krakow. So I went over to like uh, the UPS store. I was like, I need this letter to be in Krakow tomorrow morning. And they're like, that's $130. And I was like, Okay, do it. <laughs> do it, and it worked. Nice. And like, who knows if that was like the thing? Right, but, but it like, may have been. I mean, it could have been. And so, I w- I think more people should do things like this and realize that like if you just follow the standard path, you're gonna get probably standardish results. Right. And it doesn't actually take that much more to stand out. Right. It's like that with the hiring too. I mean, a lot of people are Absolutely. like, oh, I don't have time to work on you know open source stuff. And it's like, well, it doesn't take all that much. We're not looking for you to be like Tenderlove or Linus Torvalds or someone like just a little bit of something that makes you have a little more merit than someone else, it's going to look a lot better to us than if you obviously haven't put any eff- like extra effort into impressing us. I mean, it's not like we're, you know, as from a hiring perspective, I don't think anybody is like really egotistical about it, mm-hmm. but it's just, it's an attention game. Like how much more attention can you get from the people hiring you Absolutely. than anybody else? And I think that I've really been trying to impress that on the college students this week. It's like, look, we're not looking for huge amounts of open source. Even if you put your coursework, on GitHub, if you're allowed to, it's going to make a huge impression that you put something out there. We know you can do something. And I think a lot of employers that are asking for GitHub profiles are going to feel the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're going on Stack Overflow and doing something, it's just that little bit of effort that shows I care about my profession a little bit. Yeah. It's going to make a huge impression. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, college students because uh, like going back to conferences, I think this is a, a particularly strong tactic for new speakers. Yes. If you don't have like previous experience to Absolutely. reference, it's Absolutely. like... Show the passion instead. Yeah. Be like, hey, I'm a new speaker. I really want to break into the scene. I'm really excited. Um, like, from my, for the first talk that I ever got accepted was at RailsConf. And so I knew that I was an unknown. So I recorded, like, the first five minutes of me pretend giving my talk. Right. And, like, emailed the organizers. And, like, Chad Fowler responded. Nice. And it was like, this is a cool idea. Like, I love that you did this. And I was like, oh, my God, Chad Fowler responded <laughs> to me. And, like, and it worked. Yeah. Like, I, I, th- I think especially when you're at, like, a somewhat disadvantaged position. Right. It can be super powerful. Oh. To absolutely. Help you stand out. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, that's hugely important. We always try to get at least one new speaker every year at Hoedown. Mm-hmm. Um, in 07, most people were new because not that many people were talking at conferences about Ruby yet. 
Um, we, of course, got like Chad Fowler and Marcel Molina that year to t- try to be like the big name anchors trying to establish a, a, um, a, a reputation. But mm-hmm. um, we also brought in like Andrea O.K. Wright, which was like her first time presenting. And then she went on to present at RailsConf and like several other conferences. Um, so it's been really cool to like always try to pull in somebody new at every conference. Like this year we had Amanda Quaranto who did a smashing job at Magic Ruby mm-hmm. with, with her presentation on stuff. And um, it's just always cool because every time I've always been like, that was a great decision. Like I've never pulled in a new speaker that really caught my attention and then regretted it ever. Mm-hmm. Like if they're, if I feel like they're putting the extra effort in and they're, they're brand new, they're probably awesome. Right. I mean, Absolutely. A lot of awesome people that are not speaking at every conference on the planet. And the problem with, you know, people speaking at a lot of conferences is usually it's the same presentation, which is fine, but I've, I'm just not a person that does that. Like, even at this college tour thing, like, I could have probably done the same thing at every one of them, but I always feel like I need to tailor it. Um, so you get a lot of these people that just work the circuit with the same talk, which mm-hmm. is okay, but from an organizer perspective, that's a lot less attractive to me than either a new speaker who has something totally fresh to bring, which is usually the case, mm-hmm. or even an experienced speaker who's bringing me a new talk. Mm-hmm. And it's not really like an exclusivity thing. It's just like, what do I want to watch? I mean, if I'm sitting there from an attendee perspective, do I want to watch something that I've likely seen on Confreaks and or live somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no, I don't. And granted, nobody's paying for my conferences, so it's not like they can really complain. <laughs> but they have made the effort to come there instead, and you don't want to waste their 45 minutes. And yep. So that's why the, the new speaker thing is like super attractive, because they've obviously never seen right. these people speak about anything can't be stale right exactly and, and that little extra effort shows passion and i think that's oh, yeah. like that's like 75 percent of oh, a totally. great talk is yeah. like you really care right you really think this is awesome and you can't wait to tell right people. i mean i saw a talk on um using it was some like minor feature of ruby but it was like a 35 minute talk and i just couldn't let this one pass up because it was i can't remember what it was it was a few years ago at hoedown and the guy presented it like with such like, this is so awesome. I'm going to show you guys. It was like, everyone was like, Oh, I should check this out. This is great. I'm, I'm going to use this and everything now. Mm. It was so awesome to see that. That's great. So, um, you're an author. Yes. A published author. Yes. That's like in real dead tree printed book yes. form. I'm sure it was on a shelf somewhere at some point. <laughs> That's what I'm told at least. Uh-huh. Uh, so Ruby and practice is your book or yes. you have two, I think, right? I, uh, yeah, well, I've, Ruby and Practice was my book that I was lead author on, and then I've co-authored like a few more. Um, Mac Ruby and Practice, uh, yeah, Mac Ruby and Practice, or in action. I contributed very <laughs> little to that book. So I, but um, did you contribute the action? Yes, I believe that was a part of it. Maybe the end. I don't okay. really know. But uh, it's actually a really good Mac Ruby book. Um, it sort of it came out of my working relationship with Brendan Lim, who was sort of the lead author in that, and Jerry Chung, who uh, was was a co-author with me. And I've contributed to a few other ones. And then I have all the ebooks that, that I've written, which is sort of my preferred mode of, of publishing. Uh, the returns are much higher. Yeah. And um, I don't have a problem marketing to the segment that I would be selling to. So Right. So you self-publish now? Yes, mostly. Um, I think all of my technical stuff probably will be self-published from now on. It's much less hassle. I have direct relationships with the customers. Um, and I, frankly, the, the money is incredible compared to a, a published work. I mean, I made maybe i made my advance on ruby and practice that's it i don't think i, I maybe got like one check after that really small mm-hmm. and my advance was really small compared to what you would typically expect mm-hmm. but you know the rails three upgrade handbook granted that was a very opportunistic publishing up the thing but i mean that's kind of how you have to work it like mm-hmm. um i know that andy lindeman has now taken up the the mantle for rails four which i'm very thankful for because people are bugging me about it i'm like guys i don't have time 
to do that honestly um but if you jump in on the new version bandwagon i mean you can you can make some some serious money i probably made in some total about 10 times what i made off of my book with manning just off the rails three upgrade handbook not counting the other stuff Hmm. awesome so worth worth doing oh definitely worth doing especially if you have um, a good audience for marketing to it's amazing yeah so the hourly rate for for writing for that was uh was positive uh, it was decent, yeah. I mean, I, I I spent a decent amount of time on it, but it wasn't an absurd amount of time. I didn't work like two years on it or anything. Um, mm-hmm. It was probably on and off for a couple months, and then they would drop some new patches to Rails 3, so I'd go and update. And then the final two or three-week push-up to it, I was working on it every day. But, I mean, the return on it was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also got me some other speaking opportunities and things like that. I mean, there are sort of subtle results from it that you don't really realize, I think. Right, absolutely. When you can be like, I'm the author of blah, blah, blah. It's exactly. Like, okay, this guy's legit. And this was, you know, Rails Core was saying, this is the book you should go get to upgrade and stuff. And so it was, it was really nice. I mean, that was very much an opportunity that I took a lot of advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely had... A, huge net positive mm, plus it's sweet sweet passive income well yeah i mean that's great i mean I s- are you still selling copies of it yeah i, I still i mean i've open sourced it i don't think people realize this it's on my github but people <laughs> still pay for it which is great i mean maybe they want to i don't know yeah um but it's still on uh, peep code also um and oh, yeah. I, you know i get some i'm guessing peep code unlimited people going on there and, and reading it and stuff so still get a little bit off of that mm-hmm. which is nice i mean it's not a huge amount of money but it's 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 nice it's free free yeah I'm, yeah yeah what's your writing process um, so typically I write in Markdown and I end up hacking the parser to add stuff that I need. Um, so it's actually a lot easier now that I've, we have red carpet. Um, I was using Maruku, which is like this pure Ruby one and mm. it's okay, but it, it's, it's kind of bad. What's um, red carpet? Red carpet is from uh, Vicent who works at GitHub. Um, it's what we use at, at GitHub internally for parsing Markdown, but it has this kind of nice like extension API. So you can just kind of go in and override certain methods. Mm. Um, so if I want to like handle code blocks differently, then I can do that. Um, so I actually go in and like, um, so I'll handle code block differently and I'll give it a different language and get, get have flavored markdown. So, you know, tick, tick, tick. And then I'll put like note. And so what I render on the other side is a specialized diff that my style sheet interprets as a note and it, things like that. So I can actually go in and hack uh, markdown to add stuff to it. Hmm. Um, I had to do that for like footnotes and stuff. I use princess XML, so I use Red Carpet to render to HTML, and then I use Prince XML to render the PDFs. Mm-hmm. Um, and Prince XML has directives for page size, for um, pagination, for footnotes, all these different CSS selectors that are Prince XML specific. Um, so it makes it a lot easier to format the page using just HTML and tweaks to the CSS and produce something that actually looks decent. Yeah. It's funny. I asked you about your writing process, and I'm expecting, like, well, I wake up at 9, and I oh. get a cup of coffee. But you ask oh. a programmer about his process. Right, yes. <laughs> the first thing, well. And then I use rake. And right, like, exactly. Uh, yeah, as for process, I mean, I just I sort of lay out an outline, and then I zoom in. So I'll usually do, like, chapter and section outlines, just sort of general, like, these are the things I want to talk about. And then I'll take one chapter and just, like, beat the living crap out of it for a couple of weeks. Like, mm. just write it, edit it, be obsessive about the one chapter, and then move on. Um and then I'll eventually, of course, revisit it like three weeks later and decide it's all trash and, and rewrite a lot of it. But Standard process. Yeah. Basically, I approach it how I code, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any, uh, any plans for additional writing in the future? Uh, I'm wanting to do a securing Rails book. I'm having a hard time right now getting time together to, to really invest a lot into it, which really sucks because I think we really need something like that. Mm. And I have a, a good bit of experience working on high-visibility apps that have had security issues and dealt with that sort of thing. And so 
Uh, and I've been doing rails, you know, for a long time, which is not really, you know, sort of a unique thing anymore, but you know, I've seen the sort of crap that you can run into very easily. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in an app the size of something like Lighthouse or GitHub, it's it's very easy to let stuff start slipping in. And you used to do consulting work too, right? Right, so that's you saw too, a lot yeah. of client apps. Right, exactly. And yeah, I saw a lot of client apps that has huge security holes when we got them. And um, you know, I mean, I, I remember Project ENTP. That was what we did the first probably week or two was just closing all the gaping security holes they had in there just from just from poorly thought out processes. I mean, it wasn't anything that was the client's fault necessarily. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have a lot of experience in my belt, but it's it's hard now with everything I just have going on in life and the work and all that. It's uh, it's difficult to to carve out time for it. But I really want to, um, and I have an interest list going at securingrails.com, um, and I have a good number of people signed up. So there's a lot of interest in it. Mm-hmm. It's just I need to carve out the, the time to do it. I'm going to experiment with a, a pay what you want model with this one, just to see what happens. Um, I don't know how successful it's going to be, but it'll be interesting to see if, you know, I have as much success with it as other people have with ebooks and software. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's securingrails.com and mm-hmm. people want to sign up to yeah. get notified. Yeah. Cool. So, um, you have sort of an interesting professional life. You do a lot of stuff. You organize conferences, you write books, you work at GitHub, you're doing some really cool things. Do you have any sort of generalized advice for people that might be interested in following in your footsteps in some of those areas? Uh, just really make sure you keep the work life balance in check. Mm. Um, early in my career, I really sucked at that. Uh, <laughs> I had just gotten married like, you know, a year and a half or two years before I really got into the rail scene. And like, there was probably a year there where my work life balance was terrible. Like I didn't like neglect my wife quote unquote, but like we didn't really have the same connection that we should have had. Mm. Um, and so I had to, that's when I just had to make a change from, from independent consulting to working for someone else and, just a lot of, I had to make a lot of changes and tweaks and I, I still find myself sometimes running into, okay, I'm spending way too much time working on stuff. Like I've got to, to get away and go spend time with my wife or go spend time outside or something. Um, so living next to Disney world makes it a lot easier because I have something to go do. Like I can go to Epcot and walk around and grab food and get out of the house and just spend some time with my wife disconnected from everything. Um, but I really, it's vitally important, even if you don't have a significant other to, um, you know, make sure that you're getting out of the house and keeping yourself balanced. I started going to the gym like a year ago and you really wouldn't know it looking at me, but <laughs> sure you know, getting, getting the exercise, getting out, getting my heart rate going a little bit, it has really helped. Um, I know I personally suffer with seasonal affective disorder pretty bad. And so that's actually part of the reason we moved to Florida is because the cold weather tends to trigger it a lot worse than, hmm. than not. So staying in the warm weather is nice. Um, but just, you know, realize that your professional life is not your life. Hmm. And if you want to follow in the footsteps, the only way to do that is to make sure that it's all secondary to keeping yourself healthy and happy because otherwise you're not going to have the energy or the will to do anything. Hmm. So, so once you got that, that locked down and you feel like you're in balance. Yeah. I mean, always constantly tweaking and everything, of course, but I feel like right now I'm a lot more balanced than I have been previously in, in any part of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, owning my own consultancy again was one of those things where like, it sounded like a great idea at first. And then like when I really got into it, it was like, Oh, I've got to do sales. I've got to do all the business stuff that I either a have no experience doing or B really hate doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that paired with the stress of the work was just, it was too much. It was getting, and it was where my work life balance was fine, but my internal balance wasn't like I was constantly thinking and stressed about stuff and it just was not for me. And so mm-hmm. um, I was really, really happy when the opportunity to join GitHub came up because I took all that stress away from me in addition to joining an awesome team that has an awesome culture. So, mm. 
Any tips for people that want to join the GitHub team? How to get noticed or um, be taken seriously? Well, I mean, apply. I mean, let us know that you want to, you know, even if you don't go apply, like email one of us and let us know, hey, I would really like to join your team. And this is why I think I should. And this is what I want to work on. That's the number one thing that I think people don't realize about GitHub is we're actually interested in what you want to work on. Hmm. And I don't know that you could necessarily sell us on a project. Like, I really think this feature needs to be added and you should hire me to work on it. But if we've sort of been thinking in that direction and we have someone that says that they really want to work on it and we can see the potential there, then there's a lot more chance, a lot higher chance that we're going to at least talk to you hmm. than if you just sort of email us and are like, ah, you know, I'd really like to work there. It'd be awesome because I like to code. It's, you know, it's sort of, it's one of those things where we want to see, again, the passion that you have and what you want to work on because we want to make sure you're going to be happy at GitHub. Yeah, makes sense. Cool. Um, I think that wraps things up. Great. Thanks for coming by. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry awesome. about the weather. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. I'll forgive you this time. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what we can do for you next time you awesome. come up here. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what's a good way to do that? Uh, so I'm JM on Twitter and JM on GitHub. Man, you're good at snapping up those good short I names. Am. I am. I did not do it on app.net. I was really frustrated by that. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure when app.net crashes to the ground, I won't feel so bad about it. But you'll, you'll be joyful, actually. Yeah. And so my email is on, uh, it's just Jeremy at GitHub. So if somebody wants to get in touch, go for it. Awesome. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash podcasts slash 38. Today's podcast was recorded by Anna Mariola, edited by Edward Lovell, and produced by Chad Pytel. Thanks for listening.